I would always rather be happy than dignified. Chapter 34, Jane Eyre. Hi, I am Lady Katie, and welcome to Maidens of the Flame. Today's episode, we are talking about the book and character where I first saw myself and my personality reflected in, and that book was Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, a Billings roman set in the harsh and isolating landscape of the English countryside. Come along and join us. My obsession with Jane Eyre, the novel, began in my AP English class senior year of high school. Shout out to Miss Covington. And I was instantly hooked when we read it. I was swept away by the romance of the piece and the trope of repressed feelings being expressed in a sweeping romantic moonlit moment in the garden. But there's more to this novel than that, which it, the romance is only a portion of the beauty of this book. And for those who have not read it in a while or have not had the opportunity to read it, I found a quick synopsis from bbc.co.uk. And it was actually a study guide for the GCSE, which is like a really big test over there in the UK. So... The novel begins with Jane living at her aunt's, Mrs. Reed. Mrs. Reed and her children are very cruel towards Jane, and you might be wondering why are they cruel towards Jane? It's because, well, she's poor and an orphan, and she isn't your typical child. She is more somber and reserved, so they took advantage of that and were just mean towards her. And one night, Mrs. Reed locks Jane into the Red Room, a supposedly haunted room in the family home. Mrs. Reed sends Jane to Lowood School, where the headmaster, Mr. Brocklehurst, is also cruel towards Jane. Conditions are very poor at the school, and Jane's best friend, Helen Burns, dies of consumption. Jane later becomes a teacher at Lowood, and a little bit after becoming a teacher, Jane applies for a governess position at Thornfield Hall and gets the post. She becomes governess for Adele. Jane begins to fall in love with her employer, Mr. Rochester. A fire breaks out of Thornfield, nearly killing Rochester as he sleeps. Jane saves him. Rochester claims it was Grace Poole, a servant, who started the fire. However, Jane doesn't think it was. Jane is shocked when Rochester confesses his love and desire to marry her. She thought he wanted to marry Mar Blanche Ingram. On the day of their wedding, a man turns up at the church to declare that Rochester cannot marry as he is already married. Dun dun dun! Rochester reveals all about his marriage, claiming his wife Bertha is mad and he still wants to be with Jane. Jane cannot be with Rochester while he is still married, so she runs away, being without a home and then sick. The Rivers family take her in and nurse her back to health. Jane later learns she has an uncle and inherits her uncle's wealth and estate. She finds out that the family that took her in are actually her cousins, St. John Rivers St. John, as an American would say, but over there they call, they say Sinjin, asks Jane to join him in his missionary work abroad and be his wife. She nearly accepts, but when she hears Rochester calling her in a dream, she decides she cannot marry someone she doesn't love. Jane returns to Thornfield. When he she arrives, she discovers it has burned down, and Rochester is now living at Ferndean, his usual retreat, and is blind and lost in hand. Jane rushes to him, and they marry. The novel concludes with Jane and Rochester married with children. Rochester also regains sight in one eye. 
So this Jane Eyre was the first character where I really saw myself reflected in a character. At first glance, young adult Jane is shy and reserved, which is, you know, due to her very terrible, very traumatic childhood. And society, you know, Victorian era, this book was written in 1847, so we're dealing with all that, pressuring her into a submissive role. But there is an inner fire and passion, no, fun in, no pun intended with the fire, if you've read the book, you know. And I thought, you know, I was 18 when we read the book in class, and Jane, for most of the novel, is 18. And so I'm like... Here's a protagonist who is shy, but has an inner fire and passion. That must mean that I have inner fire and passion as well, because I'm 18, she's 18, and I immediately felt like a kindred spirit in her. So to make the organization of this episode easy, we're, we're, we're skipping over her, you know, the tra very traumatic still important important to the novel childhood chapters and i'm starting from like around chapter 12 when she um has you know is at thornfield so we're starting from you know let's call it the thornfield arc because this is a billings roman so it is a coming of age story we are following jane as she you know, grows up and kind of learns the ways of the world. So for this Thornfield arc, she was feeling, the reason she came to Thornfield is she was feeling very unfulfilled in her Lowood job. So she posted in an, an advertisement and got the job. She came to Thornfield and enjoyed teaching Adele, a bit lonely for company because the master of the house whom she had never met before had never shown up and so it's just Adele her her charge and you know a handful of servants so it, it got low it could it was pretty lonely for you know even back then even for an 18 year old and one day she was walking in the lane and she meets this mysterious man and he he thinks she was a fairy intentionally falling his horse because it skid the horse skidded on ice and he he fell off and they had this like meeting and she was like oh who's that well i guess you know i'll he's all right so i'll make my way and do the errand i was run finish the errand i was running and she comes back and realizes that the mysterious man that she met in the lane was actually the master of the of thornfield mr edward fairfax rochester and they, you know, have a little bit of a, a cute little snappy repartee. And after and him, he being like, well, you know, fairies coming out and falling my horse. And she's like, well, no, in her like, in her kind of sassy way, like fairies have been gone for like ages. And poor, the poor housekeeper was very confused the whole time, which was a really funny moment. And... You know, we start seeing some, like, little hints of a crush on Rochester throughout this time. Although she's like, I could I could never be with him. He is, you know, a higher social class than me. He's rich, I'm not. I'm ugly. She thinks she is not beautiful. 
And actually, one of the funny, really funny moments, I think, is it's in Rochester. It's a conversation between Jane and Mr. Rochester. And it's one of those, like, early, early conversations that they have. And he, asks, he, t he says to her, this is chapter 14, where she, he says, You examined me, Miss Eyre, said he. Do you think me handsome? I should if I, and then Jane in her head says, I should if I had deliberated have replied to this question by something conventionally vague and polite. But the answer, somehow, and she blurts out, No, you're not handsome. Like, I think it's so funny, this moment where she has this lapse of, like, and just blurts out her first thought. He asked her, do you think me handsome? And she's like, no, sir, <laughs> you're not. And just that blatant honesty, which was so funny, because we see a bit of her mask come off, because, you know, in the Victorian era, you know, it's very reserved, and, you know, stiff upper lip, and women should be docile creatures and be governed by men who know better and so that's one of the themes that Jane is grappling with is like no we have thoughts and feelings and it should be able to express them so to have this momentary lapse where she's like yeah no you're not handsome and she immediately like regretted it like oh no no I don't that was totally like my fault that was a blunder I'm so sorry and he's like no no like call me out <laughs> Like, probably one of the first people to, you know, say it to his his face. And so that happened. And then one night, she saves Mr. Rochester's life when an unbeknownst spirit or hooligan sets his bed on fire. We'll find out who it is later. Trust me, it's quite insane. And so, Rochester start, and this is actually an interesting point, turning point in Mr. Rochester's and Jane's relationship, because if you read the book, before this point, before the, 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 the first fire in the book, he, he addresses her as Miss Eyre, you know, very formal, very, um, respectful and but once she saves rochester's life this is where we first see him start to call her by her first name calling her jane instead of miss Eyre. and this is also that first moment where she starts to you know feel the crush kind of bloom on mr rochester and she's like the way it's if you depending on the adaptation like the um television adaptation you view of this it can be like cool white you know very like tantalizing like ooh, they're you know the first sparks of love but oh she's like you know that young girl in love like ooh, he touched my hand it's so romantic and it it is very romantic so jane saves rochester's life which is pretty awesome because i mean this is 1847. This book was written in 1847. And to have the female protagonist who 
is shy, is reserved, but has this inner fire, save a man's life is awesome to see. And so, fun fact, throughout this time, Mr. Rochester is starting to fall in love with Jane too, but he wouldn't let her know that. And to be completely fair, Rochester's courting method, like, it's one of those, like, he likes her, she likes him, it's, but they can't tell each other that because, you know, what would the world think, what would society think? So, I will be honest, Rochester's courting method is a bit rough around the edges because we love a good, you know, Victorian melodrama. This, when I, I in preparing for this episode, I reread uh, the book. And I never realized until now just how melodramatic this text is. It is that good, saucy, just, you know, Victorian melodrama where it's like all the gasps and like secrets are coming out and oh, no, no, that kind of situation, which was really funny to go back and reread because it's been a while since I have like reread it from like at least from the thorn, the beginning of her time at Thornfield to the end. So it was nice to revisit that because it's been a while. And so Rochester's courting method is that he invites a whole bunch of wealthy people over to his, um, to Thornfield for, you know, kind of like a house party situation, like one big long sleepover kind of thing where everyone hangs out and does things and be rich. And one of the people he invites is Blanche Ingram, a wealthy gentlewoman of the area, and goes through pretending that he wants to marry Blanche and kind of, you know, pretending, like, trying to get Jane to feel jealousy, which, hindsight, you know, as, you know, viewing this through a 21st century lens... Maybe not the way to get someone you like to like you back is by jealousy. But on the other hand, it begs the question of since no one has ever loved Jane in that sort of romantic way before, would she have, or even like familial love, would she have even been receptive to normal, quote unquote, normal, you know, methods of courting? She would have just continued to secretly pine away from him unless he did something very melodramatic because the theme for this book is melodrama to the max because we love a good spooky, it's a perfect book to be discussing as we get closer to Halloween. And, you know, this is kind of the spooky episode. And so... Almost as if she, Jane, needed to build up that tension and emotion that she has been suppressing and suppressing and suppressing and suppressing and to finally explode. She needed to that moment to explode. And, I mean, there also can... The reasons why they... he I don't think he could go about this courting method, norm, quote-unquote, normally was because contending with class difference. He's rich, and she's a governess, and his employee, which, as I say out loud, in today's world and 21st century lens, that looks really bad. But, you know, it was, you know, a different time. Well, well that doesn't excuse it. But anyway, you know, let's, let's just 
took that away. We'll keep it in mind, but let's just enjoy the, the moment. So, he does all that until finally we get this amazing, amazing moment where they're in... She thinks that Rochester is going to marry Blanche Ingram. She's going to have to go away even though she is secretly in love with him. And she and they find themselves in the garden. It's it's like late at night. It's, you know, moonlight, very, you know, atmospheric. And she has this great great moment where she goes and I'll it's I will read this quote aloud because it is just perfect and amazing and oh amazing so do you think because i am poor obscure plain and little that i am soulless and heartless you think wrong i have as much soul as you and full as much heart and if god had given me with some beauty and much wealth i should have made it as hard for you to leave me as it is for me to leave you I mean, this, that release of emotion, if you ride the waves of the book, and is so rewarding as a reader. It's like same energy as season two Bridgerton, slow burn, though not as slow of a burn as that season, but I digress. But, I mean, just, wow. It is something about that monologue. That, that's only like a small, like a chunk, like a really important, like very big chunk. And just that beautiful language. I should have made it as hard for you to leave me as it is now for me to leave you. She thinks he's getting married. She's going to have to go away and live her sad little life. But no, he's like, no, no, I've wanted to marry you. I've always wanted to marry you. And she's like, what? Like, you made me think. You loved Blanche Ingram. Like, what the heck? And so, to have, to give Jane that moment of agency, like, there's a lot, the, one of the big things about this book is just how much agency Jane Eyre has as a character. Because she's the one who, who posted an advertisement to get the job at Thornfield. And she is the one in this moment proclaiming her love, being like, you don't understand, you think because I am have no money, I'm not beautiful, that I am without a soul and heartless. And she's telling him to his face this great explosion in, of passion and excitement. It's It was, to when I first read that, it just gripped my soul and wow it was just wonderful and fantastic and so after we have you know rochester's like no no you were the one i wanted to marry they get engaged that night in you know a classic romantic way and then there's a shift when they, there's a shift we see 
in Mr. Rochester. Because once they get engaged, Rochester's personality changes in a way... Not in awful way it actually he was wanting he wants to to shower jane in in silks and lace and dress her up as this fancy person and give her gifts and call her like really gentle beautiful flowery regard her in like with very flowery flowery language and it's just a total 180 shift that jane's like wait 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 I don't need all this fancy stuff. That's not the kind of person I am. Nothing, I just want to be with you. Nothing has changed. And nothing has... I am still the same Jane Eyre that, you know, was your governess not but 12 hours ago. And she's like, I don't understand. Why are you behaving this way? But she she plays along with it. And... It's, this is where we see, you know, one of Mr. Rochester's biggest follies, that he's become blinded to the fact that he's wanting to place her in this position, in this gilded cage of sorts. There's lots of, like, nature and bird imagery and reference to characters as birds and being in cages, and he wants to, you know, dress her up and put a bow on her and that's not who she is that's not you know this is the same person who was proclaiming you know you think i'm soulless and heartless or blatantly telling to his face that he's not handsome and so that is just fantastic i continuing on um I will admit that as we, so, okay, backtracking here a second. So, we get to the wedding. Jane has, you know, stipulated to Mr. Rochester that, hey, there is a month between now and this wedding. You will treat me just as you have. I'm still your governess. I will still teach Adele. But, like, nothing has changed, and I don't want to change any too much, too fast kind of a situation. So, like, let's just take this time to keep things as they are until, you know, the time comes for the wedding where things will change. And so, we get to the wedding. It's very rushed affair. It's, like, early in the morning. Like, it's only, like, only, like, the um, preacher and a clerk as witness and Jane and Mr. Rochester and it's very weird and you know Jane's also coming off of having this really bad nightmare like a couple nights before the wedding when Mr. Rochester was you know out of the house at night for a bit and Jane as she's sleeping she sees a figure in her room she like kind of wakes up you know as you do and it's it's not a sleep paralysis demon. It's she knows it is a flesh and blood person, and she sees that flesh. She thought it was one of the servants who came into her room, and she called out, and the figure didn't do anything. 
And so she saw, watched the figure take her wedding veil and tear it into two and leave it. And she, the figure walks over to Jane in the bed, who's now, and comes up close to her face with a candle and blows out the candle in her face. And if that's not some spooky, ghosty stuff, I don't know what is. And so she goes to Rochester and is like, I thought I was dream. I know I'm not dreaming because look, here is the veil torn into two pieces. And he, and doesn't look great for Rochester. There is quite a bit of gaslighting. I'm not going to lie. Nobody's perfect. It's, you know, when you look at it through the lens of the, of a 21st century reader, you're like, Ooh, that's a lot of gaslighting. But you know, as we're, following along with the story so he's like no no it was it's just grace pool you know the same grace pool that you know tried to burn me alive in my bed a couple months ago totally you know maybe you're just you know your dreams are running away with you a bit and so she you know like oh all right there's some a little bit of trepidation as you know the wedding approaches and she talks about like who is jane rochester she's seeing all the the trunks and new clothes and new shiny objects and it's like who is Jane Rochester I have not met her yet she I she I won't become her until you know we get married and Jane Eyre is no longer so we come to the wedding rush it's kind of tense Rochester's like a little agitated and you know kind of like all right let's like hurry this this stuff up let's you know get the rings get on with our lives and you know kind of weird not gonna lie and so they get to the church and start the ceremony when the ceremony gets stopped. When, you know, the preacher calls for an objection, someone objects. And it is Mr. Mason, who during the, you know, house party with Blanche and all them, mysteriously came and interacted with the characters. He got injured by, you know some mysterious figure behind the door and was you know attacked and jane had met him before met, met him through this and he's like no rochester can't marry this woman because he's already married dun 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 melodrama and so rochester's like yeah i am married let's go take a field trip back to thornfield and let me show you my wife and so they go back to Thornfield, and he shows everyone, including Jane, Bertha Mason, the ghostly figure that has been haunting the halls of Thornfield this entire time. It is not a ghost, it is a flesh and blood person who has quote-unquote gone mad, and I will admit, this book is not perfect in its portrayal of minorities and how it deals with mental health, because Bertha Mason is from, I believe, the um, the Caribbean, West Indies, one an island. Oh, that feels really bad to say. I'm like, it's just an island. Um, yeah, either the Caribbean or West Indies, and just because, eh, and, but, as we, so as we view it as 21st century readers, we're like, this isn't, maybe not the 
best thing ever because it's that idea of you know British versus you know this exotic person who has gone stark raving mad because of the English countryside <laughs> and so and just because and but if you're looking at the book standalone <laughs> and you know all that it it, it, this is gothic romanticism. This is, you know, Bron Charlotte Bronte was wanting to get that mysterious, spooky element in, and it just so happened to be things that maybe don't fly as much today. But to have, you know, the big reveal of the mysterious, what we thought was a ghost or a servant was actually Mr. Rochester's legal wife. And so that... um ends the with the wedding because <laughs> you know found out the groom has a wife already don't think can't legally stand behind that that's that is not okay in the eyes of the law but um on the flip side you know not on the flip side but Continuing with um, taking a little detour and discussing Bertha Mason or Bertha Rochester, Mr. Rochester's wife, or Antoinette, if you've read White Sargasso Sea by Jean Rees, which in my AP English class senior year, we read White Sargasso Sea after reading Jane Eyre to get that other side of the story because, you know... When he's recounting this his story of how he was, you know, duped into marrying Bertha without knowing she was quote-unquote mad. It was genetic. Her mother was mad. But if you look at it after reading White Sargasso Sea, you're like, he was control. And even if you want to look at Jane Eyre through that lens, is he was very much in control of that narrative and was the only person in all of this who didn't get... And who all of this who you know recounts this side of the story and we don't get to hear Bertha's side we don't know what actually happened unless you've read Why Sargasso Sea where you get a you know an idea of what could possibly have happened and so but <laughs> now my 18 year old self could not give in to the idea that there was anything wrong with, you know, our tall, dark, and brooding leading man. But, you know, now as I got older, I'm like, ooh, there's a lot of things wrong with Rochester, at least through when viewing it through a 21st century lens. And maybe Bronte was wanting to showcase that not everyone is perfect. This is where we see the, the gothic romanticism potato. There is beauty in the ugly. And... I mean, it even, there, chapter, there's a quote from chapter 15 where Jane says, let me find it, ba -doo -ba -doo -ba -doo. finding it on the page. <laughs> Yet I had not forgotten his faults. Indeed, I could not, for he brought them frequently before me. He was proud, sardonic, harsh to inferiority of every description. In my secret soul, I knew that his great kindness to me was balanced by unjust severity to many others. 
He was moody, too, unaccountably, so I, more than once, when sent for to read to him, found him sitting in his library alone, with his head bent on his folded arms, and when he looked up, a morose, almost a malignant scowl blackened his features. But I believe that his moodiness, his harshness, and his former faults of morality, I say former, for now he has seemed corrected of them, had their source in some cruel cross of fate. Now this is from chapter 15. So before the wedding, before all that mess goes down, so Jane recognizes, she sees that, you know, he's not, he's not perfect. Jane is fully aware with that, about that, but she loves him nonetheless. She loves him. He loves her. It's one of those bonds that when two souls meet, you know, they just click and submit themselves submit themselves to one another there's a during you know the big romantic ex, you know declaration of love in the garden where you know jane had that moment of i'm poor as gear plain little mr rochester begin had in the beginning of that conversation was like i sometimes feel like there is a string attached under my rib and there's string is attached to your rib and if they were to sever he would take to bleeding inwardly. And so it's we're grasping onto this romantic idea of two souls more perfect for one another. Beyond their faults, and at the end of the day, they are just meant for each other. And I'm sure people have brought up, in, you know, in conversations in terms of her relationship with Mr. Rochester and the whole idea of, well, you can't marry the first man you met. But at the same time, you can view it as, A, it's the 19th century, and B, she lived in the middle of nowhere, English, England countryside. There's no tender in those days. You were kind of stuck with the people you were in proximity to. There's not a lot of fish in the sea at this time. If Unless you're in, like, London, but this is, you know, country villages and the likes. So, plus, yes, Rochester was the first man, but wasn't as horrible a person. As, but she, Rochester was the first man she met, but wasn't he was a horrible person, but there were good qualities to him that she, she saw the beauty in his tall, dark, and brooding personality. You know, he's... I've seen him be described as a very Byronic character. And so, you know, she refused Sinjin, another man who showed her a little bit of kindness, so boom, there's that. And before she had inherited her uncle's money, she did not have a lot of prospects in the dating realm. In the 19th century, and for most of history, there are only really three main occupants patients a woman can have, either a prostitute, a wife, or a governess. Now, I'm grossly overgeneralizing, but, you know, it whittles down. So, there weren't a lot of avenues for our dear Jane to explore. And when I first read this, and why, you know, <laughs> I became, you know, probably, I was, the, you know, I was the girl, the one crazy girl, and the class that was like, this is amazing. This is such a great love story. It's so beautiful. And all my classmates are like probably thinking I have lost my mind and that I'm not thinking logically about this. 
But my frame of reference in Lens when I first read this, and partially now when I still view the material, is I read it from through the eyes of a woman at the time this book was written, who was reading this book and was giving, I, I gave into the romance. This is a time, this was a book that showed women that you can be passionate, you can have intellect and seek the life you want and have agency and independence for yourself and not to settle for anything. And if you look at the book on the grand scheme of things, Jane doesn't marry Rochester until she becomes a fully realized person and then the person she wants to be, the independent woman she is. Because this, like I said, this is a Billings Roman, it's a coming of age story, and so now that she has finished her journey, she can, she is ready to return to Mr. Rochester because they've gone through these trials and and he has atoned for his sins and paid the price for his missteps, which was, you know, to lose his sight and a hand in the fire, in the second fire. And so I totally was on board when I first read this, like, how amazing this would be if I were reading this when it first came out. In this society, I th and taking my 21st century lens and, you know, just, you know, lifting it up a little bit, not completely taking it away, but lifting it up and viewing it as this sweeping romance and inspiring novel. I mean, getting to see Jane blossom into her own and say the, the immortal words, I am no bird, and no net ensnares me. I am a free human being with an independent will, which I now exert to leave you. And I just was floored by this. It was such, what a strong and powerful statement to be written and read. And so, Jane, makes the decision she has to leave Rochester. She does not want to. She is fighting every instinct within her to stay by leaving. She is going against everything she wants and feels compelled to do and goes, no, I need to leave. And even Mr. Rochester tries in vain to be like, run away with me we'll go we'll go somewhere where we where we can live together in peace and she's like no you have a wife i will not be your mistress i will not live you know life of sin with you and this is not not the right choice so she has the agency to leave and she she has that coming into her own moment where she's like, I'm not a bird. Nothing can hold me back. I am an, I'm a human being with a will, independent, and I use that choice to leave. And so she runs away in the middle of the night and is wandering. She just picks a direction and goes until she's adrift in the English countryside and is 
sick and destitute and is taken in by the Rivers family, which consists of a brother and two sisters, Mary, Diana, and Sinjin. There's that name again. And after recovering, Sinjin gets her a job as a teacher at a girl's school. And she doesn't feel 100% content, but she makes it work. She's like, this is, I have a roof over my head. I am working with students and she's learning and growing. And during this time, it becomes uncovered that Jane and the River's siblings are actually cousins. And so Jane is ecstatic to finally learn that she has a family and that she has connection, some outward relation to hold on to in this world. And Sinjin, her cousin, wants to become a missionary. He's currently like a pastor or a parson at the, you know, the local church and he wants to be a missionary, go off to India and far off regions. And he's like, come with me. And she's like, and it's kind of framed as both a marriage proposal and a missionary proposal. But Jane's like, okay, um, I won't marry you because I don't love you. I, it, there is, n but I will go with you if I the only condition I have to go with you is if I can do it just, you know, as like a fellow missionary. As if we were brother and sister. And Sinjin refuses. And he's like, no, you have to go. You, the only way you can come is as, as if you were my wife. Because you know, what would people say? And that's the only, it wouldn't be unseen, it wouldn't be seemly to have, be traveling with such a young unmarried woman. And so... Jane, they go back and forth on this for a while, and Sinjin is actually, like, not the best person about it. He's kind of mean and kind of, you know, stuck in his own, you know, mud pit. Uh, a nice way to say it. And so, and she just knows that they would not be a good match. And the way he view marriage was not in line with hers, or anyone's, to be frank's, wants and desires. He was wanting, you know, he was like, it's the perfect job for you. You will, like, hunker down, do good work. And she's like, no, that's not what love and marriage is. It's about, you know, two people who love each other. And he's like, you'd be fit for the work. And she's like, no, this is not working out. And so they're, they're arguing about it. And by this point, it's been about a year since Jane has left Thornfield. And in some more of that... Juicy, juicy, spoopy, gothic element. Jane hears Rochester's voice call out to her through the wind, across the land. And she immediately is like, I need to go to him. And... So she, with, you know, her newfound wealth, because she inherited her uncle's estate, which she shared with her cousins, because she is very nice and selfless, and then rushes back to Thornfield, hoping with, you know, wide eyes, heart ablaze, ready to reunite with her love, 
to find that Thornfield is now a ruin. There was a fire set by our our favorite um, fire setter, Bertha Rochester, Bertha Mason, Antoinette. And in that fire, she climbed to the roof and jumped off, instantly killing her. And in uh, uh, Mr. Rochester's attempt to get everyone safely out of the house, uh, like a beam falls and he gets crushed under it and loses. He had, had to get his hand amputated because it was so crushed by the beam and his face was, you know, burnt and scarred and he lost sight. And so she finds that out from a tavern keeper and goes to Ferndean, which is Rochester's other house. It's very secluded in the woods. Not a lot of people like to go there, but he likes it there. And she finds him and comes back to him after feeling like her journey, her personal development as a human is settled or even complete. We have, you know, finished She's finished her journey, her, the lessons she's needed to, to learn, and they reunite, and they live kind of happily ever after, with, you know, a couple years after the marriage, Rochester gains some sight back, and have, having, you know, this, you know, if we're talking, like, you know, this, like, universe karma situation... And so the karma, you know, came back to haunt him and he paid the price for it. And we end with a great story where we get to explore the life of Jane Eyre and see her from humble, depressing beginnings find inner strength and become her own person and I would like to highly suggest that you all if you have the opportunity to watch if you you know if you don't prefer reading the novel and you want to watch like a film adaptation, I highly suggest the 2005 BBC miniseries version with Ruth Wilson and Toby Stevens because that is, is a really good adaptation, I feel like. I enjoyed watching it. It's one, I, we watched a clip of it in my English class way back when and it has stayed with me for a long time. And so, I leave you all with that great conversation about Jane Eyre. Next time on Maidens of the Flame, we will be having a special guest with us. She's talented, she's educated, she's a badass. The incomparable Sabrina Becker will be joining us as we discuss our D&D &D player characters.
And with that being said, thank you for joining me and hope you come back again. Mm-hmm.